We are so glad to have you with us. If it's your first time, we want to welcome you. If you're here for the second time, we want to welcome you back and you call this home. We're thrilled to have you too as well. I, I want to talk today about the principles to live by. And my plan is to try to get through this message all in one. If, if, if I get sidetracked, we'll come back and pick it up next week. But let's grab your outline and your notes there and pull it out there with me. And let's look at the first verse here, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 22. Listen to these words. But the scripture, pause right there. Whenever you're reading the New Testament and it refers to scripture nine times out of ten, it's talking about the Old Testament or the oldest part of the Bible. A couple of exceptions where uh, Peter calls Paul's writing scripture, but normally it refers to the Old Testament. Here it does. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith in Christ came, we were held captive under the law, the Old Testament, deeds, commands, statutes. We were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian. Circle that in your notes there, underline it, star it. The law was our guardian until Christ came. In order that we might be justified, not by our works, but by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. I want to go back and just touch on that guardian word for just a moment. Uh, in the Roman world in which Paul wrote, uh, the word guardian uh, could also be called a, a, a pedagogue. And basically what this servant would do is this servant was responsible for the heirs, for the child of the gentry, if you will, for, for the child of promise, for, for the successful children. And here's what happened. The pedagogue, the guardian, would lead the child downtown to the master teacher. And the trained master school teacher would then lead the child to excel in what really mattered. And Paul refers to the law as being that type of a servant. It was a guardian, it was a servant, never intended to be the end, but to lead the child to the master teacher who would reveal what the child absolute needed to know. What a beautiful picture of the Old Testament law. It was a servant to lead the coming believers to faith in the master teacher, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to talk a few moments about the Old Testament statutes, the Old Testament commands, what you'll hear in church circles called the law. When we say the law, we're not talking about the police department. We're not talking about speeding laws. We're talking about the old covenant commands found in the oldest part of the Bible. And so 
what did the Old Testament statutes, what did the Old Testament precepts, what did the oldest part of the Bible command, what did those laws do? It's not in your notes, follow along with me just for a few moments here. I've got to lay some groundwork to get to your notes. Well, first of all, it acted as a teacher. It taught us so many things. Second of all, the Old Testament precepts showed us what sin was. Without those precepts, without those commands, we would not know what was holy, what was unholy. We didn't know what was sinful, that wasn't sinful. It showed us what sin was. All the same lines, those Old Testament precepts were like a mirror. So when you read them, they were a mirror that showed our sinful nature and showed us how messed up, how dysfunctional, how much batteries not included we were. It showed us how much that we didn't have it together. And so here's the reality. A lot of people today don't realize they don't have it together. In fact, the older I get and the more longer I'm in ministry and the more uh, counseling and psychology courses I have taken and the more I know people, the more I realize people do not have a true estimate of themselves. We often think that we are better and more uh, ahead of the game than we really are. Think about it, guys. Look in the mirror. We all think we're Arnold Schwarzenegger. When we don't have a six-pack, we have a keg right here. But man, look at me here. I'll be back, you know? And also, the Old Testament precepts showed us that we were powerless against sin. That we could not defeat sin. But that sin had the upper hand on us and sin dominated our lives. That in ourselves, by ourselves, through ourselves... We were powerless against sin. When we read the the Old Testament law and the Old Testament precept, you become discouraged, don't you? Because you realize that I'm not good enough. That I can't cross my T's, dot my I's, punctuate it just perfectly. And I realize that no one is good enough. In fact, the Old Testament precepts were given to discourage you. They were given to show you, you can't do it. They were given to show you, no no matter how much willpower you have, no no matter how gritty you are, no matter how determined you are, no matter how much you say, I am going to do this, you couldn't do it. That no one's good enough. Here's the good news. It proved that no one could could earn their own salvation. You say, well, wait a minute. If no one could do it, how do you know that? Well, here's the reality. When God gave the commands and said, here's what you're going to do, then he put into act a way to have sacrifice. Why? Because he knew that people weren't going to be able to do what he told them to do. So he had to go through entire books of Exodus and Deuteronomy and that beautiful book of Leviticus to tell you, here's what you got to do. Here's the point. The law shows me how I really am. The precepts show me how I can't do it. The precepts show me I don't have it all together. The law shows me that in myself I'm powerless. The law shows me I don't have it together. The law also proves to me and to you that I need a Savior. And so the entire Old Testament, the oldest book of the Bible, that doesn't tell the story about every man, 
It doesn't tell the story about every person or every race. It tells the story of the people of God. But more important than that, you're a part of the people of God if you're a believer. But the reality is it shows us the Messiah who's going to come, who's going to bring salvation. And so when I look at the New Testament, I am hit with this overwhelming sense of, I can't do this. I don't measure up. I am not smart enough, tough enough, good enough, bright enough. I, I can't do that. And that's right where you need to be. Because when you realize, I can't do it, I can't fix it, I am batteries not included, now the shift goes from you and it looks for someone who can do it, and that is your Savior, Jesus Christ. So what it does is, it, it, and here's the reality, I, I love what my father-in-law, who I call Pastor Dad, says oftentimes. He says, you've got to get people lost before you can get them found. And here's the reality, people run around saying, I'm saved, and they have no clue what they're saved from because they have no concept of what sin or batteries not included means. If you realize what Jesus Christ has saved you from, wow, it blows your mind. Well, I could not do this. And he reached into my life and he saved me. Imagining, as I did as a baseball player, watching one of my friends almost drowned at the bottom of the pool. When we dove in and pulled him up, pulled Mark out, he wasn't breathing, and CPR began by the coach, and then EMS came, and his life was saved. And to this day, years later, who I never see him much anymore, but if I bump into him at my hometown, you know, he'll say to me, he'll say, thank you, Bones. That was my nickname. I used to be really skinny. Thank you, Bones. Now I've got this Dunlap over my belt disease, all right? It's very contagious as well, yes. So let's go on. But anyway, he thinks, why? Because he knew what he was saved from. And why do we pause and raise our hands, some of us? And why do we close our eyes? And why do some have tears running down their face? And why do people around the world come to church every Sunday? Hopefully it's not because you want to be entertained, but you're just thankful that Jesus Christ stepped into your life and saved you from something that you couldn't save yourself from. So here are two incredible facts about the Old Testament scriptures. And we're not to the notes yet. Just hang with me here. I want to lay the groundwork here. The Old Testament was never able to deliver from the power of sin. Never. It never could do it. Even if you could keep all of those laws still in your heart, your sin, because Jesus came around and he said, you have to find it all wrong. The law says don't commit adultery. I say if you look at a woman with lust in your heart to sleep with her, not saying she's attractive, she's good looking, but to go to that place in your mind, he says you have committed adultery already. The law said don't kill, but grace says if you hate your brother, you've killed him. So in some ways, grace is actually more difficult than the law. And what it does, it points us back to Jesus and says, hey, you need me to do this. So the law could never deliver you from the power of sin. But it always leads to frustration and defeat. 
that's where you've got to go to because when you're at that point, you're drowning in the pool, you need a Savior to come and save you. And if you're at that point to where I can't fix my life, I don't have the answers. When you get to that point, you're at the most healthy point because at that moment, you stop looking to yourself and maybe after hearing a message like this or from someone that loves you and shared Christ with you, your mind now goes, I can't fix it. I can't hold my marriage together. I can't change him. I can't change me. I can't change my kids. And now you come to a place where you're dependent upon someone else, the Lord Jesus Christ, to save you. So what is that book we hold, the Bible? What is that book that has an old section we call the Old Testament and a newer section that we call the New Testament, the Old Covenant, the New co Covenants? What, what, what is the Bible? Well, first of all, the Bible is primarily a book, book of ethics. It shows us how we are to live. It shows us right. It shows us wrong. And here's what happens. We live in a time of moral relativism that says there is no wrong. There is no right. Everybody's right and nobody's wrong. Well, if everybody's right, somebody's wrong. Amen. You ever had a car crash and you had the video camera? And it shows they were wrong. And they said, I'm not wrong. No, you just ran into the back of my bumper. The video shows that I'm not wrong. I was eating my Cheetos, listening to music, having a good old time. And I ran into you. You just happened to be there. You shouldn't have been there. All right, get back to the notes, preacher. All right, here we go. There is a right. There is a wrong. And in the Bible, the Bible does spell out some absolutes. The Bible is an umpire to say, here are the rules of living a full, vibrant, authentic, abundant life. And if you don't play by these rules, your life is going to be dysfunctional. It's going to be broken. However, the Bible is not a book of minute laws. Yes, it does contain some commands. But more importantly, the Bible is a book of timeless principles. And if you can get that, that there are timeless principles in those things that we call the Scripture, what we call the Bible, what we call the Word of God, that, that there are timeless principles that transcend every race, that transcend every time, that transcends every culture. The Bible speaks to every culture at every time. Why? Because it's timeless because the principles are timeless. So I'll make very clear today, I, I want to give you a set of principles that will help navigate you in life. Before I get there, let me hammer a couple other things down. We're going somewhere here. There are a couple of major problems with the Old Testament precepts and statutes. There, there, there's, there's a problem actually with most laws, even in our culture today. And here's what happens. Laws by themselves, not principles, but laws by themselves can become ridiculous. They can become outdated. Laws by themselves can become obsolete. Can I give you a few examples of ridiculous, obsolete laws? These come from Reader's Digest 2017. 
in Washington State. There are two counties where it's illegal to poach Bigfoot. Look it up, two counties. Look it up. And that's not because they smoke pot out there, all right? That's because it's on the books. You guys are quiet or I'm loud. Here we go. In Chico, California, do you realize that it is illegal to build, maintain, or use a nuclear weapon within city limits? But guess what the fine is? The fine is $500 for world annihilation. I can build this nuke and they'll find me $500 in Chico, Chico, California. Chico, California, rather. That might be worth it. In 1961, Gainesville, Georgia passed a law making it illegal to eat fried chicken with anything but your fingers. <laughs> Pretty reasonable to me, right? I love this one. New Jersey, my northeastern friends, we don't want to leave you out. In New Jersey, it's against the law to murder someone while wearing a bulletproof jacket. So if the murder isn't enough, well, man, we're going to get you because you did it in a bulletproof vest. In one small town that's name is actually more funny than its law, in Indiana, 1939, they passed a law that all black cats must wear a bell on Friday the 13th. <laughs> and they introduced this law to alleviate mental stress on the population. Our friends in Maine have a law that it is illegal to place an advertisement on someone else's tombstone. So I don't want on my tombstone, it says, you know, Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15%. <laughs> In Massachusetts, a 1917 law, 1917 law prohibits dancing to the national anthem. And finally, I can give you a couple more. Actually, where's my Oklahoma worship pastor at? Right there. Mr. Oklahoma, do you realize it's against the law in Oklahoma to have a sleeping donkey in a bathtub after 7 p.m.? There's a reason for it. And then, in, and then I'll pick on my home state of Kansas uh, because listen to what they have a law. A lot of trains in Kansas. When two trains approach each other at a crossing, both must come to a full stop. And neither shall start up again until the other has gone. So here is why principles are better than laws. Laws become obsolete, laws become weird, 
Laws become outdated as cultures and things change. Principles don't. Number two, people can always find a loophole in a law. When there's a law, I'm going to find a loophole. That's why our tax code is so thick, because when you give me a law, let me see how I can get that deduction. Give me a law, we'll find a loophole. So I want to talk about the scripture for just a moment. And I want to talk about five timeless principles to live by that come from the scriptures. Principle number one, it's in your notes. The principle of expediency. The principle of expediency. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12, he says, All things are lawful unto me. If you have a good study Bible, that phrase, all things are lawful to me, should be in quotes. All things are lawful unto me. And why is it in in quotes? Because this was a Corinthian slogan that they said all the time in Corinth. And they were saying, all things are lawful unto me. And it carried the idea that was adopted by the culture that the body was permitted to do anything that it craved and desired to do. So in Corinth, they walked around and said, I can do it because all things are permitted to me. All things are lawful. All things are permitted. I can do whatever I want. If my body craves it, if my mind wants it, I can do it because if it makes me happy, I can do it. And so Paul, the master evangelist, the master missionary, takes that quote and he says right back to the people at Corinth, he says, you say all things are lawful to me. Whatever my body craves, I can do. But he says, but all things are not expedient. Think about that phrase for a moment. It's very closely related to the word expedition. Voyage, trip, going somewhere, journey. If you are a follower of Christ, I hope that you have a plan in your life that you're going somewhere for God. I hope you have God-given goals and God-given dreams and God-given vision. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, church of Corinth, you have adopted this culture. Oh, I can do whatever I want because the culture has taught you that. He said, but listen, just because, quote, you can do whatever you want, not everything you do is going to take you on the path that God has for you. There are choices that you make that you should not make. There are some things that you can do that perhaps you should not do. There are some things that aren't profitable for you. There are some things that aren't for your advantage. There are some things that in my life that won't take me to where I'm going as a follower of Christ, as a believer, as a husband, as a pastor. There are things that I should not do that it will take me. And every decision is like a river that takes us down a path. And that decision can take you down this way, and by saying yes to this, you say no to that. There are people that I dated that were wonderful people. 
There were people that I dated that were intelligent people. There were people that I dated that loved Jesus and loved me. There are people, those same people that I dated and loved, that loved Jesus and loved me. Had I married them, it would have taken me an entirely different path than where God wanted me to go. Time out. If you're married, you're married. Give it to God, let him work it out. If you're single, hone in and listen to me. Every person in your life is a river that will take you to where God wants you to go, or it's a river taking you away from God. Every relationship is either a current that moves you towards the things of God, or it is a riptide that pulls you out to drown you. There's some of you dating someone, you need to break up. There's some of you here that you are looking to find your purpose in that person and you're not going the same direction. Talk about friendships. Some of you guys have friends that they're your buddy, but they're having a more negative impact on you than you are them. And you can lie to me and you can lie to yourself, but God knows you're calling it missionary work. And the reality is they're being more effective in their evangelism against you than you are them. And for some of them, you need to say, guys, I can't spend as much time with you. It's lawful to me. But is it taking me to where I'm going? And the best advice I can give to my young adults and my teenagers is this, is when you are dating someone, here's what you do. You run as hard and fast after God as you can because you're not going to find who God wants you in the bar. Married folks just say amen to that. You're not. Talk to that all the time. Well, you know, where are you going to find them at? Listen. I knew what it was like to be a Christian man and be a pastor and be single and realize I could not date the people in my church. I also realized I couldn't go clubbing. So what did I do? I prayed. I can tell you the rest of that story some other time. Chase after God. Run God down. Put your eyes on God. Chase after Him. Run after Him. And run as hard and fast as you can. And the first Christian that God made your life, just because she's hot, she may not be the one. She may be hot. She may be the one. She may be hot and she may not be the one. She may be smart and not be the one. She may be smart and she might be the one. You want them. Which, here's what you want. You want them, yes, want them smart, want them hot, and want them running after Jesus. Guy, ladies, you want a guy who loves Jesus more than he loves you. You want a guy, here's the reality, if he gets in the backseat of the car with you when he's married, who he's going to be with after that? If he doesn't have the morality to say no to you, how will he have the morality and how will you expect him to have the morality to say no to someone else? You're quiet, I'm loud. He's not preaching, he's just meddling up there today. 
chase after God. Run after God. Chase after God. Run after God. Chase after God. Run after God. Look to your right. Look to your left. And see who's keeping up as you run with you after God. When Laura, when God gave Laura to me, do we agree on everything? Absolutely not. Did I enjoy kissing her? You better believe it. Did we sleep together before marriage? No, we did not. Did we have opportunity to do so? Absolutely. Did I want to? You have no idea. One of our dates, however, we were walking around in the park, and I thought it was going to be a nice walk in the woods, and that sharp, beautiful, intelligent, God-fearing, God-loving woman began to ask me every theological question you can imagine, and can I tell you, I missed a bunch of them. I asked her, I said, do you want to marry a pastor? If she would have said yes... It would have been the wrong answer. I didn't want to marry a pastor. I wanted to marry me. Do you get the difference? That is what I do. Roger is who I am. And I said, do you want to marry a pastor? And she said, well, I'm not against it if that's what God wants. Right answer. And she asked me question after question after question. And here's the reality. If she would have said, no, I don't want to marry a pastor, I would have had to say no to that too. Why? Because I couldn't do what I was called to do without her. Do you realize that? I cannot do what I do without her. As I pastor this church, I realize so much how much she takes off of me and how much she does just, you know, just when I come home and I'm tired, I'm giving myself out. Can I be honest? There's times she gets sloppy seconds because I gave you the first. Is that the way it's supposed to be? No, that's my sin. But it happens, it has happened. And she serves with me. And this is not a, a, a promotion of, of Laura Pate, but my point is this. I'm talking about young adults and my, my teens. You want to get someone that's running after God and it's not just lip servants, but they love after God. They want the same goals that you have. You're on the same highway. You're going the same place. So he says, all things are lawful to me. I, I can do whatever I want. Whatever my body craves, I can do it. I can sleep with who I want. I can drink with what I want. I can smoke what I want. I can spend my money the way I want. I can go where I want. I can do whatever I want. He goes, yeah, maybe you can, but it won't take you to the destiny and God's best for your life. Number two. We may not get through this today. I'm afraid if I don't get through it, you won't come back next week. And you need to hear some of this. Wow. Number two, the principle of slavery. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12. I love the way the King Jim version says it. All things are lawful for me. Again, he quotes the Corinthians. 
I can do whatever the body wants. He says, maybe you can, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So the last question you should have asked yourself on the last principle was, does this thing bring me to my God-given goals in my life? This time you should ask yourself, will this thing tend to enslave me? Will this thing bind me up? Will this thing take my heart and my body captive? We all think we can control it. We can pet it, and it's our little pet, and we have it under control, and it's okay. It's wonderful. I'm going to pet it. It's all right until the thing becomes like a gremlin and multiplies into a monster and destroys you. People around the world are bowing down and worshiping a cocoa leaf. It creates cocaine. And they're bowing down and a leaf is controlling their life. Bowing down to a tree. We don't bow down to trees. It, trees make paper Paper and cloth make money, and we bow down to money, and it can become an addiction. Television, internet, habits, that can enslave you. I want to be real with you, because I don't ever want you to think I stand on this, on this stage, and I have it all together, and have all the answers, because I don't. I stand before you being needy of his grace and his mercy in my life. And there's times I'm tired and I say things I shouldn't say and, and have spoken words I shouldn't have spoken. Are, are you with me? Thoughts I shouldn't have had. So I want to come to that point and say that to you, that, that it's not like I have it all together. But there are things that we are all weak towards that we have got to understand and know that there are certain times, there are certain places, there are certain people, there are certain things in the calendar that bring up into our lives traps that may not happen at other times. Jesus was the most tempted after God said, this is my beloved son, and after his cousin said, you are the man. You are often most tempted after a victory. You're often most tempted when you leave church on Sunday. You walk out of that door, you've been in His presence, your endorphins have been going, you're alive in Him and you're great, but some of you have worked and so you're tired and some are related, and in those moments, I find in my life, He comes at me oftentimes in those moments when I am absolutely after a great victory. When you're tired, when you're bored, who you're with. Gentlemen, when you travel for business, you need to be aware of the environment you're in, that what might be okay at home to do with your bride may not be okay while you're on the road. You've got to be aware of it. 
the principle of slavery. And I wrote in my notes here, do I share this story or do I not share this story? Because when you share stories about your personal life, people like to kind of judge you for it from time to time, but I've decided I'm, I'm going to share it. Once I shared a story in a church I pastored that I got angry and they said I was disqualified to be a pastor because I had an anger issue. I said, well, now I am angry. <laughs> but let me tell you a story that happened over 10 years ago, maybe over 15. I was at a wedding in New Orleans. At that point, I had never bought even a single lottery ticket in my life. I was saved in a holiness movement where you didn't drink or chew or run with girls who do. I mean, there was a strict, I mean, look out. You didn't, you didn't have real wine at grape juice. You had grape juice for communion because look out. You know, you, had to have the, you couldn't have the wine. So very, very strict. I had been to Las Vegas traveling from Bakersfield through Las Vegas to Phoenix to preach in one church, drove through Las Vegas because I was told they have cheap hotels there, and man, I got there and I saw the lights, it was great, I didn't even gamble at one single casino, and boy, was I puffed up like a toad and proud about that, I could preach it in my sermon. I've been to Vegas, and what happens in Vegas, I can take out of Vegas. But New Orleans, I was there at a wedding, and several friends asked, hey, why don't we go down to Harris Casino? I said, okay, let's do it. You take 40 bucks, I'll take 40 bucks, when we lose the 40 bucks, we're done. Perfect. Sounds good. 40 bucks. Won't get me into a Royals baseball game. Forty bucks, I'll, I'll do it. Went to the blackjack table, and my forty bucks became fifty bucks and went to zero. And I felt so stupid that I might as well take that forty dollars, lit it with a with a match, and throw it in the air. I I thought, this is the dumbest thing. Why would I ever do this? Who does this stuff? My friend had taken 40 bucks and had turned it into 80 and was done. I said, let me have the 80 bucks. My friend gave me the 80 bucks. I took the 80. I mean, I played blackjack and it became 100. And it became 200, and it became 300, and it became 400, and I had found a new hobby. And it became 500, and it became 600, and it became 700. Hit me, hit me, hit me. And all of a sudden, I realized I had a knack for playing blackjack. Here's my spiritual gift. And I hit 800 and 900, and my friend said, you're done. I said, no. Once I get to $1,100, I'm done. You're done now. No. Just $1,100. Hit me, hit me, hit me. 
And my friend grabbed the tokens and said, you're done. I said, what's the problem? I don't like what I'm seeing demonstrated through you right now. This thing has a hook in you, and you don't even know it. Maybe you can be on a ship, and you can be the guy that spends the 20 bucks, and when it's blown, you walk out. I'm not that guy. I called my mother, I was talking to her one day, and I said, Mom, let me ask you a question. I started acting about addiction in our family a little bit. And I found out some interesting stories that in my family history, addiction to gambling was always an issue. I realized, had my friend not lovingly said, don't, you're done. And listen to that, you're done. No, I'm not. I can handle it. I can handle it. Do you see where it went from? It went from me losing 40 bucks saying, this is stupid. I'm never going to do this again. Everyone that does this, wow, how can they do it? It went from that to me having that hook in my jaw. To this day, I realize I don't step into a casino. Why? Because I refuse to be enslaved by it. Now, I shared that story with you not to ruin Las Vegas tourism. I share that story with you is because we've got to ask ourselves the questions. What is in my life that will enslave me? I believe it's so strong that if I would pursue it, I would be on the internet playing it and I would be bankrupt. Maybe not. Maybe I'd be on Texas Hold'em television program. Will this enslave me? Just because you can do something, just because you have the right to do something, just because something is legal, just because others can do it and it not enslave them, isn't the answer you have to ask yourself. You've got to walk in the principle of, of enslavement and say, will this enslave me? And for some of you, you can have a beer at the Super Bowl and it's fine. And for others of you, you take NyQuil and you're off the wagon. I told a previous pastor here locally, I said, why do we have grape juice during communion, because I said, too many will fall off the wagon if we get the real thing up here. And I was serious. I joked, but I was serious. What, what, what are you prone to be enslaved to? And ask yourselves, what are the times and the situations and the people that fuel that in my life? Time out. If all you got from that is Pastor Rogers against Hera Casino, you missed the entire point. Oh, he's preaching against gambling. That's a good preaching pastor. You missed the whole point. I'm talking about a principle that goes far deeper than that. I'm talking about there is an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. 
I'm talking about the moment you said yes to Jesus, you put yourself in direct opposition to every demon in hell that wants nothing else but to bring you down, destroy your marriage, destroy your children, destroy your life, destroy your purpose, destroy your influence in this world. What will enslave you? What is going to take me to my God-given goals or away from my God-given goals? And I hope you see a couple things here when I'm saying this that are sub-points that relationships are significant and impact these things greatly. It was a relationship with a godly person that said, this has got a hold in you. Amen. That's a high note to end on, isn't it? <laughs> Stand with me, if you will. Do you still love your pastor? Yes. Yes. Two of you do. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. <laughs> Listen, I love you enough to stand here and share my life with you. And I love you enough to speak the truth to you. And I love you enough to say, guys, God has a plan and a purpose for you. And it's a beautiful plan. Jesus says, I've come to give you an abundant life. We talked about last week how that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He rewards them abundantly. God wants to reward you. God wants to bless you. And as he blesses you, Satan hates you more and wants to bring you down. And sometimes... A lot of times in the church, it's not that the good is the enemy of the bad, because you love the Lord. Often what is, happens in churches is the great becomes the enemy of good. And God wants great, and we settle for good, or what below of what he has. He wants the abundant life, and we settle here. One of my mentors used to say, the question is not this, how much like the world can I live like and still be a Christian? How much like the world can I live and still be a Christian? The question is, how much like Christ can I live and still be walking around on this planet? You see the difference? Put your eyes on Him. Let's run towards Him. Let's set aside every weight and every sin that so easily entangles us and binds us up and let's run with perseverance the race he has for us because he's taking you somewhere. Amen? Amen. We'll pick this up next week, all right? The Lord knew we needed to camp out there. As our ushers come, if they will, thank you guys so much for your giving. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you so much for being here. God is blessing us um, in January we had an average attendance of about 20 people higher than we did a year ago in January. Praise God for that. Our uh, attendance last week was close to the very first Sunday we ever met here. Praise God. That was awesome. Amen. Over 60 people have come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, and we thank God for that. We thank God for that. 
we started small groups this week, and these young adults are going to keep me young. It's going to be awesome. They're going to keep me young. The young marriage group started this week. They had a great young marriage group. Men's group, guys, men's group, this Saturday, 1 p.m. at Why Not in Greenbrier. Come on out. It's going to be pizza on us this time. Come out, hang out, listen to the guys, meet some good friends, and find out what that men's group is going to do. There's other groups meeting as well. Go online. And although you can't sign up online, you can email the group leaders directly. Well, pastor, why don't you have their address on the internet? Because there's some weirdos on the internet, okay? So you can email them, and they will give you the address of where they're meeting at. Amen? What? Also, I owe you an apology for last week because I went off my notes and I said I am a granola magnet and I tracked a bunch of fruits, nuts, and flakes and I pointed at you. I hope you know that was humor and that I love you. If that's offended you, you really are a nut, all right? No. If that offended you, I am sincerely apologetic. It's just my humor, and I love you dearly, all right? Hallelujah. Thank you for your giving. God has been blessing us. And listen, we will put your finances to good use. We're going to honor God. We're going to help people. There's things that we don't tell you about because it's private, and we don't want to get the press and the picture for it, all right? But we are helping people. God's doing a work. We manage your funds well. We're conservative. We're not going to the casino in Harrah's, all right? We've got a CPA who looks over that, and we thank God for your giving. Father, thank you for Exalt Church. Thank you for the abundant life in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the law that points us to you, that shows us we need a Savior. And thank you for timeless principles. Lord, I pray today that you would take us in the direction that you have for our lives. And thank you that you are bigger than even when we make a mistake or we think it's irreversible. So those that are feeling beat, beat up right now, and it's irreversible, we give you right where we are, Lord, and we ask you to redeem the time and redeem their situation and redeem their lives and bring about an abundant purpose for them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. and amen. God bless you guys. <laughs>